Good morning. This is the uh, last lesson in our series on the word as a means of grace. And read last time, larger catechism, question 160. We covered uh, part of it, and the plan is to cover the rest of it today. So the question asks, what is required of those that hear the word preached? The answer is, it is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer, examine what they hear by the scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God, meditate and confer of it, hide it in their hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. So this... uh, question, as I said, concludes the section in the larger catechism on the word as a means of grace. We've talked about the way it's our union with Christ uh, that enables us to have the, the benefits purchased by us, and the work of the Holy Spirit is to communicate those uh, benefits to us. And the principal means of doing so, according to the larger catechism, and I think scripturally, uh, the outward and ordinary means, which are the word, uh, sacraments, and prayer. So last week we uh, reviewed, and then we also uh, looked at the, really the first part of the answer in uh, terms of preparation for hearing the preaching of the word. And so uh, today I'd like to think about uh, what we do while we're hearing the preaching of the word, that is during the the preaching and then uh, afterwards. As I mentioned last week, that's kind of a standard division. The larger catechism isn't exactly structured that way, but uh, that's uh, more or less the the flow of the the answer. Um, So what I'd like to do today is to look at a a couple of passages, um, fairly long passages. I I realized for various uh, reasons that it it wouldn't make a lot of sense to go through each of these clauses the way uh, we've done with some of the catechism questions. For one thing, there's just... um, there are lots of different scripture references. It seems like sort of a scattered approach. So for today, I'm going to take a slightly different approach than we've done and focus on a couple of passages. And uh, for starters, I'd like for you to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. This is uh, really, in many ways, the conclusion of uh, the section of Hebrews that starts in chapter 3. And I want to come back to that, but it seems uh, like a good introductory meditation to read these verses. And uh, they, they bring really the important points about uh, hearing the word uh, in, a, in a very uh, strong way to our attention. So Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I think this is a familiar passage. It's a description of the word of God. You might say the the effectiveness of the word of God as uh, God uses it. It is in the context of what proceeds. And so verse 11, let us therefore be diligent, refers to what he's just been talking about. And it's interesting, again, uh, this is a passage I hope to come back to, but the 
the same example of disobedience is a disobedience rooted in unbelief. So he particularly stresses the response to the word of God in the preceding part, and it's disobedience uh, which comes because they did not believe the word they had received. And that, I think, is then the, uh, the cause of uh, the concluding reflection in this section on, on the word of God. One striking thing about this is that he gives these characteristics of the word of God because they are characteristics of God himself. They are attributes of God himself. So in verse 12, um, he, he talks about the word of God being living and powerful and so forth. And then in verse 13, there is no creature hidden from his sight. So it's because of the God whom we serve, the one who knows all things, who searches all things, that his word is, has that nature. It is his word and therefore is able to search us. Or you could look at it the other way around and say, uh, it is when we uh, encounter the word of God that we, we encounter the way God works in our lives. And I think that's why this is especially important when we come to talk about the hearing of the word, that is the, the preaching of the word. So as I've mentioned before, this is something we do every week. Uh, it may be something that we come to without a lot of uh, reflection ahead of time, although we tried to address that last week. Uh, but uh, if we think about what is happening when we hear the word of God, especially in this passage, I think it will um, arrest our attention. So let's just notice some of the things he says about the word of God. So first of all, he says the word of God is uh, living. So it's not just an ancient text, although the word of God, uh, the Bible is an ancient text. It's a, it's a living text. Um, so you know, if you've ever done any wiring, right, you need to know the difference between a wire that's live and a wire that isn't. And that's, that's the sense here. There's, there's something in the word that should cause us to pay attention to us, to it. it. There's something in the word that should cause us to have awe when we hear it because it is a, a living thing. He also says it's a, a powerful thing. And as we go through this, we'll see that the power is really directed to an end. So the word is powerful in the sense that it's effective uh, in the intended purpose. And what is that intended purpose? Okay, well, this gets pretty uh, uncomfortable, right? It's, it says the word uh, is sharper than any two-edged sword. So that was like the most advanced weaponry of their day. Uh, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word exposes all of our hidden thoughts, all of our attitudes. And again, in the context, I think the, the writer has in mind, the, especially the preaching of the word. That's, that's what he's been talking about in the context. How is it that we respond to the word when the word preached makes us uncomfortable? Well, the first thing we should realize is that it should make us uncomfortable, right? It is probing. The word of God is uh, searching us out. Um, one example of uh, the premier preacher of the word, the Lord Jesus himself is, uh, I think, uh, instructive here. When Jesus uh, was talking to the rich young ruler, and uh, remember he, he said he had kept all the commandments, uh, he was just fine, and uh, Jesus tells him to, to go and sell everything he has. Um, Calvin makes a very insightful comment at that point. He, he says that, um, uh, let's see, sorry, I, uh, 
I wrote down the, the quotation. I think I left it elsewhere. What he says is that Calvin is uh, like a physician. So there are all kinds of different things that he could say because right there, there are the Ten Commandments that they've just talked about. But instead he focuses on the one commandment, which is really his uh, attachment to his, uh, his wealth, that is, thou shalt not covet. But Calvin says he's like a, a physician who puts his finger on the ulcer. This is the spot. So there are lots of things he could have talked about, but he searched out the one thing in the rich young ruler that, that was his particular sore spot, the thing that he particularly needed to hear, and he put his finger on that. So our response would be, ouch, right? That's the, that's the nature, though, of the word of God. It is searching. It uh, knows our deepest thoughts, and that's, again, because of the nature of the word. It is from God the God who knows us, Psalm 139, the God who searches us. And so that's why uh, the, the passage goes on then to talk about the fact that we are the ones to give account to God. These are the things that God does because we are ultimately the ones who must give account to him. Now you could take that in an entirely negative way and you, should, you could say, well, uh, because the word makes me so uncomfortable, I don't really want to hear it. Um, and that's, that's a possible reaction. You could come to church week by week prepared not to hear anything because you don't want to be made uncomfortable by the word. But that's the wrong reaction. You should realize this is God's good gift to you. God's good gift to you is to search you out week by week by the word. Right? It's uncomfortable. You're going to hear things you don't want to hear. You're going to have applications which maybe the pastor will make or maybe you'll make afterwards in the hearing of the word. But it is because we give account to God uh, that we must respond in thanksgiving that he has probed us in this way, the God who has shown us who we are, even if it's uh, showing us things that we really don't want to think about in ourselves or to hear. And I think... uh, The passage that comes immediately after that, our compassionate high priest uh, is the the section title in my Bible. Uh, Although it's really making a transition to, uh, I think, a new part of the book of Hebrews is still really instructive here because it says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So there's the other part of the goodness of God. He not only shows us our sin, he not only probes us with his word because we must give account, but he's even given us his son who understands, who has compassion on us. And so our response to the word isn't the legal response to the word, which is I'm guilty, I'm going to flee, uh, or rather it's to whom we flee. We're, the word makes us realize uh, who we are, and yet this is an invitation to flee to him, the high priest, the one who knows us, who uh, loves us, And so when I said the word of God is effective, that's an encouraging thing, right? It's a powerful, effective means that God has used for our sanctification. It's something that we may not look forward to, we may not appreciate, uh, but it is still uh, the fact that the word of God is living and powerful is a good thing for those who respond in faith. And I think that's uh, an encouragement to us. I hope that's an encouragement to us. even when the word puts its finger on our ulcer and we say, ouch, that we realize it is 
because we have a compassionate physician who, who is bringing us uh, to a good end. Okay, that's, uh, as I said, that's one of, that's actually probably the shorter of the, the three passages I want to look at. But do you have any comments or questions uh, just on that, on that passage or uh, on what I said? Dave? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. You, you hit on uh, one of uh, Durham has a list of sins: uh, hearing the word, and then uh, after hearing the word. And they're longer than the list I talked about last week. But one of them is uh, applying the word to other people and not to yourselves, <laughs> which is sadly an easy thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the prophets. You think of the book of Amos, right? So Amos makes this circle around the nation. Doesn't talk about Israel. He talks about all the surrounding pagan nations. He talk about talks about Judah, and then he says Israel is uh, implicated. So he he lost his market share probably with that. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's a that's a dangerous thing for the preacher to do, and it's a dangerous thing for us to do in terms of tuning out the things we don't want to hear. Thank you. Other comments. Okay, well, let's uh, then turn to uh, the book of James. So I, I picked uh, basically Hebrews and James to, to look at this because uh, both passages are cover a lot of points that are in the larger catechism, which probably means the other way around, that the large, larger catechism is especially uh, uh, drawing on certain passages. But uh, James is helpful, I think, in, again, giving a, a bigger context, not simply focusing on uh, sort of the narrow thing, like I'm in church, what do I do? So I want to read James 1. Again, I'm going to read a a larger section. We won't talk about the whole thing, but I want to give the context. So James 1, uh, 12 through 27, that is a long section. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been tempted, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gets birth to sin. And when it, sin, when it is fulfilled, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, 
with whom there is no variation of shadow or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful, forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So I don't know if I should apologize for reading a long passage of scripture. It's a, it's a good thing to hear, but I wanted to give the context. Uh, James has been talking about trials, especially in the first part of the chapter, and then uh, temptations. And our, our pastor preached through James. It wasn't that long ago, so uh, maybe this is uh, still familiar to you. But uh, he corrects, especially in the passage uh, uh, shortly after where I started reading, the uh, the tendency to directly or indirectly implicate God for our temptations. Okay? And he says in verse 16, do not be deceived. And in verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. So he emphasizes, just as the writer to the Hebrews does, who God is so that we can understand what his work is and especially the purpose of his word. So he talks about God as the good God, the one who gives everything that's good. All goodness comes from the good God. And he's also the God who doesn't change. With him, there's no variation or shadow of turning. And that informs then the rest of what he says. And in particular, I want to notice the fact that he emphasizes the work of the word. Of his own will, in verse 18, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So, the connection with what he's already said should be fairly clear. It's if you think God is tempting you, you're completely on the wrong track because God is the one who renewed us. He, he gave us new life and he did so by the word of truth, by his own word, which is a word of truth, not a word of falsehood or of uh, wickedness or of temptation. And the end was that, again, that we should be uh, first fruits of his creatures. So it's again important to think here of the purpose of God's word in our lives. And that, that purpose is uh, that we would live according to the word. That's what he spells out in the rest of the passage. And immediately he says here that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So what he wants to go on then to say is that uh, if the word is what is given in the context of our new life, in our uh, conversion, um, you might say in a, sort of a, the theological language that we use, also scriptural language, then what does that mean uh, in the rest of our life? How do we then respond to the word? And I think that's what he goes on to spell out in the rest of the chapter. Uh, in verse 19 it's uh, and 20, it may be a little confusing because he, 
he says, let us be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. James does sort of switch topics sometimes quickly. Is he changing the subject here? Uh, I think not. I think the swiftness to hear must refer to the hearing of the word, at least principally. And uh, the reason is that uh, if we're in temptations and trials, our immediate reaction is uh, to not be swift to hear, but rather to speak, whether it's a speaking a word of accusation of God or uh, some kind of word of complaint. And also, uh, we may also be uh, rapid to be uh, wrathful. But he says, no, the consequence of this God whom we serve and the one who has brought us forth by this word is that we should be quiet and listen. That's a difficult thing to do. That's part of what we do when we come to worship, right? We don't, we're not here to give our own opinions, uh, although, as we'll talk about, uh, Lord willing, toward the end, that we should reflect on the word that we've heard. But uh, we're here to listen to God. So Ecclesiastes 5 is, a, I didn't put it up there, it's sort of a parallel passage. You know, when you come into the presence of God, don't just, you know, spew forth a bunch of words. Be there, be there to hear God. And I think that's the sense of what uh, James is saying here. But then especially in verses 21 through 27, he spells out a number of points, which, as I said, uh, the, the larger catechism also spells out. And, uh, of course, we give priority to the word in terms of uh, credit for the source of those. But uh, notice in verse 21, the therefore. So how is it that we should come to the hearing of the word? Well, first he says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And the sense seems to be, at least for the first of these, that you, know, you, you, you take off your dirty clothes. Okay? You take off the, the things that, that uh, would um, cause you to be unclean. Uh, Gordon Ketty in this comment on this says, uh, for both of these, we should avoid all spiritual pollutants. Okay? And that's in application to hearing the preaching of the word. So that's the first thing. If you'd like, it's preparation for the hearing of the word, which we talked about last week, but it's also the attitude we bring when we sit down in the auditorium, and that is an attitude of repentance. It's turning away from the things that would accuse God of, of uh, tempting us in the immediate context here, whatever it is that would uh, in, inhibit us hearing the word of God. Okay. You know, whenever you hear that, you think, okay, well, that means I can't come to church, right? Because I've got, you know, there are all these things going on in my life. I'm not good enough to come. And that's, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what the catechism is saying. That's not what James is saying. But it is calling us to, to think about what our frame of mind is as we come to God. And God understands. Uh, God knows us. Uh, we just read about that in Hebrew. So it's not as if God is unaware of uh who we are, but it is a call that we would lay one thing aside, which is the filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and instead, in the last part of verse 21, receive something. So receive, you can think of it as welcome. That's a a good way to think of it. We are to welcome the word. He says welcome it uh, with uh, meekness, which is uh, that we would humbly submit ourselves to it. So Isaiah 66, uh, 2, again, I didn't put it up there, but trembling at God's word, that's, that's the sense that we realize that God is the one speaking to us. Again, the imagery of Hebrews 4 is helpful. Uh, God is the one searching us, and we, we receive it, it with that attitude that it is God's word.
Uh, even the, the description of the word as an implanted word, I think, is helpful. brings us back to the parable of the sower that we looked at uh, before and the fact that the, the word uh, should be something which comes into our hearts and something which then will be bearing fruit. And that's uh, what he talks about, especially in the rest of this passage. So it's a, it's a rich uh, statement just uh, in, the, in verse 21 of how uh, we should be prepared for the word. We should, uh, the attitude with which we should receive it, even as we hear it. And then he adds something uh, very powerful at the end of that, which is able to save your souls. Okay. So it uh, brings us again to the fact that uh, these are uh, ultimate matters. You don't come to the preaching of the word as if it's um, some lecture on a subject that you're interested in, although you should be interested in it. It's, it's not a lecture, as I, I think said several times, but it is a matter in which you should be interested. But these are matters of, of life and death, uh, again, going back to uh, Hebrews 4. I think when he says able to save your souls, he doesn't have in mind simply the act of uh, the regeneration or the, the conversion which uh, comes from that. But I think he has in mind the whole uh, flow of the Christian life, which is the, the way, as we saw in the beginning of our study in this section of the larger catechism, we should think about salvation, not simply uh, at the beginning of the work, but that he will see us through to the end. It is a work that God does not only to regenerate us, but to keep us, to prepare us for eternal fellowship with him. And so when uh, James says the word is able to save your souls, he's holding out to us a great promise. This is something which is uh, for your benefit, uh, not only once in your life, but throughout the Christian life that will bring you to the uh, to the end. so he then turns for to in verses 22 and following to what we sort of expect James to say. Uh, I don't know. You know, James is known for emphasizing uh, that we should respond uh, to the gospel we received uh, in a faith that works, in a faith that actually uh, lives out what we profess to believe, and that's what he uh, turns to here in some very uh, memor- uh, memorable uh, words. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So if you, if you study this topic, uh, you'll, you'll see people, uh, more than one source, uh, say this. Well, in Hebrew, the, the distinction between hearing and doing is not there. So in Hebrew, the words, if you're going to hear the word, you're going to obey the word. That's, that's what hearing means. Like none of this, I, you know, I heard it and I'm not going to do anything with it. And apparently in Greek, the, ver- the words are very closely connected too. And that's... That's uh, James is basically saying, don't try to, you know, weasel out and make this distinction that you could hear the word but not do it. Verse 22. If you do that, you're only deceiving yourself uh, as if that uh, were a possible thing. And the reason is especially, I think, clear as you go through this. And that is that the, the hearing of the word is like looking in a mirror. And the, the mirror in which we look is a different from the mirrors uh, we have. It's a transforming mirror. So he's saying you you could be like a man who just observes his face in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what he looks like. 
whenever I read that, I think that that would be good in my case. I'd like to forget that. But uh, he's saying that's not good in terms of the word because the word is a, a different kind of mirror. In verse 25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. And this one will be blessed in what he does. And I think the reason is that he's using the very common biblical imagery of the, the law as a picture of God, and as, especially as a picture of God revealed in the flesh, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a transforming look, then, when you look in that mirror. It's a law of liberty. Okay? There, again, is the emphasis that, although we might only focus on the convicting power of the word, this is freedom. This is the gift of God to give us a new life and to be able to walk with liberty in his ways. And the promise then at the end of verse 25 is that there will be a blessing uh, when we do that. So that, that call then to be not only hearers, but also doers of the word, which the larger catechism brings forth, uh, says brings forth the fruit of it in our lives, is, is so central to hearing the word that they really can't be separated. You're not really hearing the word if you're not then uh, following through and doing it. He then presses the point uh, home further in verses 26 and 27, but I'm looking at the clock and realizing I I still have other things to cover. So uh, these are, I think, familiar applications, but they call us to, uh, you know, a a practical religion. That is um, that we would care for those in need, uh, that we should uh, live, as he says, unspotted from the world, that we should bridle our tongue. Those are those are not some, you know, high uh, theological points that we need to wrestle with. Um, the word is clear in terms of how we should respond to it. And he says that that's, that's going to be the, uh, the evidence of having heard the word and being transformed by the law of liberty. So I think you see here this, this passage touches on a number of important things for us to think about as we come to the word, as we hear the word and as uh, we reflect on it afterwards. And uh, that's, the, I think, the, the main thrust of uh, James's comments. Any, any comments or questions on that? Okay. Okay, the, the last passage I want to look at, and it's longer, but I'm going to have to be more brief because I want to touch on a few other points. Yeah, it seems like I have been talking pretty fast. I've been recording these online videos this week because we couldn't have class. So, you know, they're always saying, slow down. So, okay, I should need to slow down. Um, Hebrews 3. This, as I said, is the, really the... What we read first in Hebrews is the concluding part of this, and I want to make at least some comments on it. Hebrews Hebrews 3, uh, beginning at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise of entering his rest, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. I think I'll I'll stop there. Uh, I had listed more verses, but since I'm running out of time, let me let me just stop there and uh, make a a few comments on this. Uh, here, the writer to the Hebrews quotes from the beginning uh, Psalm 95. That's the passage he quotes uh, beginning in verse seven. Today, if you will hear his voice, I think we're we're familiar with the psalm. The first part of the psalm actually celebrates the goodness of God toward His people and um, his care for them, and then turns to this sobering call, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So the psalmist here is uh, reflecting back on the history of the nation, and in particular, a couple of incidents where they tested God, uh, where they didn't uh, obey God. And as we'll see again and again, the writer uh, to the Hebrews says, And that was because of a heart of unbelief. So what he's doing in this passage is saying, your situation, the people receiving the the letter uh, that he's writing, is parallel to theirs because you also are wandering in the wilderness, as it were. You haven't yet received the promised inheritance, the full inheritance of uh, believers, which I think he is looking forward to in the consummation of everything. Um, And... Your situations are therefore parallel, and that's the basis in which he calls on them to apply uh, this passage from Psalm uh, 95. So let me make a a couple of points about uh, this, or a couple is more than a couple probably. Uh, First, you should notice uh, how he introduces this quotation. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. So this, this reminds us that the word is not man's word, although later on he says it's David speaking. Uh, But he says this is the Holy Spirit speaking. The word of God is the word of God. It is from the Holy Spirit. And we should therefore, as he says in verse uh, 7, today if you will hear his voice, that means hearing the voice of God is hearing his word. And he wants us then to understand that up front, that that's, that's what we're dealing with. That's what he says later on. As we saw, the, the word is, has the uh, qualities of God because it is the word of God. Uh, but uh, second of all, you should notice the repeated um, call to hear the word of God. As I said, the, the hearing is not uh, the way we would tend to distinguish it from um, understanding or obeying the word. It's not you can't be an auditor in the class of God, all right? You have to be there engaged and doing, uh, doing 
showing a response to the word. So that's in verse 7, if you will hear his voice. He again uh, repeats this idea through the passage that we read. We need to to hear the word of God in the sense of uh, responding to it in faith and not harden our hearts. And that's, I think, especially highlighted by the repeated reference to the word today. It's a striking thing because uh, they are not living in the time of the ancient Israelites. They're not living in the time of the psalmist. And yet he keeps repeating the word today. And that's because the word today is the day you hear the word of God. Not the time you first hear the word of God, but every Lord's Day when you hear the preaching of the word of God, for example, that's the day in which you need to respond in faith. I think... uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times, when we see a section of the larger catechism like this, we tend to individualize it. How do I read the word of God? Uh, How do I prepare for hearing the word of God? And that's why I think especially uh, verses 12 and 13 are helpful here, because he encourages us to help each other. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. One practical outworking of that is in the larger catechism uh, answer about conferring. uh, Does it say confer of it, which means discussing the word we've heard with each other. So. Next week, we'll start, uh, Lord willing, the afternoon uh, meeting again, and part of that has historically been a sermon discussion. That's a good opportunity to exhort and encourage each other. But this is the kind of thing that that reminds us that the hearing of the word is not an individual thing. It's a community thing. We hear the word of God together. We respond together. We encourage each other together. And um, that's, I think, an important thing to realize in our tendency to be thinking of ourselves only in terms of uh, individuals. I, I want to maybe just uh, conclude by looking at the part of the statement that straddles the end of chapter 3 and uh, the beginning of chapter 4. He says at the end of that, in verse uh, 19, they could not enter because of unbelief. So if you read the passage in uh, the accounts in the, uh, the Pentateuch, uh, when they're wandering in the wilderness, you know, they don't want to, they, they're always complaining. They don't want to go where God tells them to go. They don't want to, you know, first they don't want to go into the promised land at that point because the people are too big and then they decide they're going to go anyway after God tells them not to. So you might say the pattern is always disobedience. But the insightful, one of the insightful things about this uh, this writer's uh, observations is, no, the root problem is unbelief. And then again, it's a very important thing for us to think about when we're hearing the word preached. And that's why the the larger catechism brings up faith uh, toward the beginning of that, that part of the answer. The main call and the main concern is, do we believe what God has said? In particular, do we believe the promises and the warnings attached to God's word. He promises great blessings for hearing the word. He gives great warnings against not hearing the word. That's the key thing to a response of obedience or disobedience. It is 
believing the good God who has given us his word and responding in that way. And I'll, I'll just uh, highlight one other part of this, uh, this part, as I said, that straddles three and four. It's striking, he says, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. They had the gospel. We have the gospel too. Which That statement has a lot to say about your view of the relationship with the Old, of the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's not where I'm going to go right now. But it does uh, press the point on them that they shouldn't look at the experience of the believers in the Old Testament as somehow distinct from their experience, uh, nor should we. The warning again again and again is when you hear his voice, respond in faith. The problem is, as he says in verse 2, it was not mixed with faith, their hearing of the word. So that's the, the crucial thing I hope especially you'll think about in terms of the hearing of the word and the preaching of it, that it would be a response in faith. Okay, there's a, a lot more that we could be said, but I, I think uh, you see now how the summary that we started with in verses 11 through 13 really presses, point these, uh, presses home these points that he's been making in terms of our hearing of the word and its, uh, its power in our lives. Okay, comments or questions on that? Yes. Yes, that's right, yeah. I think uh, prayer uh, for that work of the Holy Spirit in light of the promises that we've talked about is especially encouraging. Is that it's not a prayer like, well, if you think this is a good idea, which some of our prayers are, you know, we don't know what God's will is, but we know God's will in this case and uh, his command. So that's very good. Yeah. Okay, I, I sketched out um, some other emphases, which means things that, okay, even though we looked at some passages, uh, there are some other things uh, that do come up and... Um, So let me try to go through them fairly quickly. Uh, The first thing is that we should listen with discernment. So again, the the larger catechism talks about this. We should examine what we hear by the scriptures. Okay. Now we talked last time about not coming with prejudice as if we're trying to catch, you know, catch the pastor in an error because we have some animus. Uh, No, but it's actually good for us to come with a spirit of discernment and here, some things you can do. The, the pastor sends out ahead of time what he's going to preach on. The scripture reading, both, the, both parts of the scripture reading. Read those ahead of time. Look at the outline. You can ponder what the blanks are going to be. But you could also think about what your questions are. What, what, is, what is it that comes up in this passage that I don't understand? And uh, then you'll be ready to listen with discernment and to hear, to hear what is said. Let me just uh, make it a little broader. Um, there, because of uh, our connectedness, there are lots of things that we can hear these days. There's lots of podcasts. There are lots of, of uh, ways that we can get information about religious things. And especially, I think it's important for us to be discerning in those things as well. Uh, I think it is the case that um, hearing uh, bad teaching elsewhere can cause us to misunderstand uh, the truth of God's word and even distort our hearing of the word preached. I put up 1 John 4.1 just as one of the 
the calls to search the spirits. Okay, there are many spirits gone out into the world. Uh, we should be careful hearers in the preaching of the word here and uh, in our intake uh, wherever it is. Um, second, so I also, I guess I just covered the first uh, two points. <laughs> Let me mention just uh, one other thing, which is uh, the Lusher Catechism talks about things that we can do after hearing the word. It mentions uh, meditating. We've talked about praying. Uh, it talks about uh, conferring or discussing the word and hiding it in our hearts. So those are all things which uh, would be part of what are sometimes called the Christian discipline. Okay? So what this is, if you like, what this is saying is that the rest of the Christian life you live through the week, you should connect with the word that you've preached uh, on the Lord's Day. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't read other passages. I'm just saying that that should be part of our processing of the word that we've heard. We shouldn't just walk away and leave it there. There are things that we should think about. We should talk about with others. I think that helps uh, quite a bit. I found the sermon discussions we've had before very helpful. Um, and it's an expression of what is really the, the biblical approach of having uh, the word of God central to the whole life. So I actually gave Liz a passage. I think we have time. If you, if you could read Deuteronomy 6, um, 6 through 9. It's a familiar passage, but I think it, it makes this point more clearly. So that description of uh, talking of these things, you know, just as you go through life is, I think, the, the implication of what the larger catechism is talking about. This should be a part of our lives, not this thing that we do for whatever it is, you know, this time on Sunday morning. But it should be expressed uh, certainly in the way we live, but also in the way and what we think about and what we talk about. Okay, so that's uh, what I wanted to say. I'll just remind you at the end that uh, in a positive way, we should be thankful for God's gift to us for the word as a means of grace. This is how the grace of Christ is communicated to us, one way among others. But uh, especially in the preaching of the word, we should be thankful that God has given the gift of the ministry of the word and um, we should take advantage of the opportunity we have. So... Any comments or questions about that? Okay. Well, let's close in prayer. And then uh, got an announcement from Bruce about what he's going to teach next, so I'll give that.